But I do have a brief thought I would like to share with you. I, and I had to cut it down just a little bit because um, Mrs. Smith pulled out the pastor's wife card this week. She doesn't do it very often, but she came in a couple of days ago, and she said, I want Christy to sing Ring the Bells, and you need to play for her so Brent won't have to, you know, won't have to get it together. And so I said, well, she's already singing another song. She said, it's fine. She can do both of them. <clears throat> I said, but, you know, we try to keep the service short. We take it out of your sermon time. We'd rather hear her sing than hear you preach. <laughs> the truth hurts, folks. It just does. Some of you heard me talk about this, but I need to just bring it before you for a minute. A few weeks ago, Becky and I had a lady in our home who's going to be doing some work for us on our house. Though we didn't know her, she came highly recommended to us by friends of ours, and she was in our home that day to discuss the scope of work to be done. After a few minutes of meeting her in our conversation and having uh, acknowledged that she had somehow discovered that uh, I'm a pastor, she must have felt comfortable a few minutes in the conversation to ask me the question which seemed to be on her mind. She was aware of a child, uh, I don't recall if it was a, a relative of some kind or, or an acquaintance or a, a family member, I don't recall, but a child who had been severely abused at the hands of an adult. And the more she unpacked the details of the circumstance, it was uncomfortable to hear, but the more she unpacked the details of the circumstance, the more it became evident that she was deeply, deeply disturbed by the situation, which was a very appropriate response. After giving enough details for us to grasp the severity of what had happened to this child, she was obviously leading to her question. She posed a question to me, which uh, it was very clear she had been wrestling with it. And the question was this. She told us all the horrific things, or many of the horrific things that had happened to this child, and she looked at me and she said, was that God's plan? She was essentially asking that age-old question that is often asked by anyone who's grappling with their faith, and haven't we all had to grapple with our faith in various ways at various times? But she was wrestling with that age-old question, that, and there are plenty of people who want to know, how could a loving, good God allow bad things to happen to good people? And in this case, how could a loving God allow a small child to be so greatly abused? And was the abuse of this child the plan of God? I mean, since God, He, he knows all, He sees all, He hears all, He's all-powerful, He's a sovereign God, we understand that. And, uh, was this His plan? And though she did not directly ask the obvious next question, it was strongly inferred that if God would design or craft such a plan for, uh, of atrocity toward an innocent child, how could I and why could I ever trust Him? And to be honest, she caught me a little off guard. I thought she was coming to talk about what she was going to do in her house, and she, this was boiling within her. And when finally, it didn't take very many minutes for it to come out. So she caught me somewhat off guard, and I managed to give her an answer. I, I doubt that my answer did much to calm her concerns. Nevertheless, I gave her what I believed to be the truth. That encounter lingered with me 
and has, is still lingering with me today, though it was just a few weeks ago. That encounter, along with the fact that we were approaching this Advent season, sent me down some intense paths of contemplating the plan of God, the plan of God. For her concerns seemed to be about the plan of God and, and, and how could she ever trust God's plan, seeing what she had seen. Now, do I believe it was God's plan, plan for that child to suffer abuse? Of course I don't. And so I think she would probably say, so then, then how could it happen? Well, I think we have to understand something about the plan of God. Actually, tonight seems to be the perfect time to talk about it. Because if you want to know what God's plan is, if you want to see what God had in mind, then I take you back to the book of Genesis, and I present to you the Garden of Eden. That was God's plan. It was lush, rich, beautiful, rich in resource, uh, vibrant, nourishing, healthy, sustaining. There, was, there, there had to be that sense that everything was right. Everything is as it's supposed to be. Everything was functioning as it should function. That's what God designed for us. That was God's plan. But then we come to the third chapter of the book of Genesis, which is where we discovered that sin entered the world. And once the curse of sin made its entrance, then, then our ability to choose, to choose God's way or the way of sin became the central focus of the plan of God. For you see, I, I'm convinced God's highest expression is that He gives us the power to choose. He doesn't demand. He doesn't dictate. He gives us the power to choose, of, of choice, to follow Him, to belong to Him, or to choose otherwise our own path. We have that choice. And even when the world was against him. Even when his own people were against him and did not choose him and chose rather to follow the curse of sin, still in love, God gave his only begotten son. He sent him as a babe in the manger so that whosoever would believe on him. There it is, the power of choice. So that whosoever would believe on him would have everlasting life. God's plan? That's what we're celebrating here tonight. God's plan is ever and always reaching to a lost and dying world. Ever and always reaching to you and me and to this world. So why would a child have to suffer abuse? Simply because sin entered the world and we still see the effects of the curse of sin, for it is still the choice of some. So, Pastor Dan, what does all that have to do with Christmas? Well, we've spent the last four Sundays of Advent at Bethesda talking about the familiar Christmas story from the Gospels, and we all know it so well. The angels, the shepherds, the wise men, Mary, Joseph, the baby, we know the story. But did you know, Bethesda, that the first glimpse of the story of Christmas does not come from the Gospels. It comes from the book of Genesis. At least that's where we see the first shades of God's incredible plan, the plan of God, God's incredible plan of salvation. Now, I'm 
quite sure that most of you are very familiar tonight with the story of Adam and Eve and how they sinned in the garden. She partook of the fruit of the tree that had been forbidden, shared it with Adam. And that first wrongdoing produced some very, very, very severe consequences. Broken relationship between God and man. Broken relationship between man and woman. An exile from their garden paradise and struggles even with the basics of life. For women, it meant pain in childbirth. For men, it meant uh, difficult labor while facing opposition from creation itself. And from that day until this day, the curse of sin with all of its consequences is that which we, that we still have to deal with. But right in the middle of the listing of all those consequences, there's a strange little verse in Genesis 3.15 which says this, and I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I present this to you tonight as the very first promise of Christmas and the very reason that you and I are celebrating tonight. When the Bible speaks of the seed of the woman, it is speaking of the virgin birth of Christ. In this verse, God, that I just read to you from Genesis 3.15, God speaks directly to Satan, who took the form of a serpent, as you know, to fool uh, Eve and to deceive her. And God says that one day, Eve's offspring will crush the serpent's head and the snake will strike the offspring's heel. God promises Adam and Eve that one day he will send a deliverer who will defeat the serpent and rescue all of their descendants, namely you and me, from the consequences of sin. And thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, after countless prophecies, this deliverer was born in Jerusalem, and his name is Jesus. That Savior is Jesus, the Savior of the world. But we come to the more dominant topic of this verse, which is the conflict between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. The serpent, Satan, is given a fatal blow to the head. This fatal injury is actually revealed to us in Hebrews chapter 2 where it says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he, Jesus, die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. The devil had the power of death. But when Christ overcomes the power of sin and death through his death, he removes the power of Satan, giving him a fatal blow and winning this conflict between the seed of the woman, who's Christ, and the seed of the serpent, who is Satan. And of course... The very last part of our Genesis 3.15 verse speaks of Christ, the seed of the woman, being struck on the heel. The seed of the woman is given a temporary strike. It is a painful one, but a temporary one. It is, this is referring to the death of Christ on the cross, a, a painful death, a horrible death, but a temporary death. And he used the enemy's greatest weapon, the power over death, and use that to defeat Satan himself and he, by dying in our place. Somebody say hallelujah. 
to remove the curse of sin from us and sin's power over us, and as a result, removing Satan's greatest weapon. How many of you know, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? Satan tried to go for a killing blow. They tried to kill our master. They nailed him to a tree. But through that potential moment of triumph for the enemy, which he thought he had, comes the greater triumph of our Lord Jesus Christ, dying and then defying death and rising after three days. And that is all portrayed here in this first glimpse of Christmas in Genesis 3, 15. Your salvation and mine has been the plan of God since the very beginning of time. Are you grateful for that tonight? Celebrating the birth of Christ is not as simple as celebrating one moment in time. No, 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 no. It's not just celebrating the babe in the manger, as powerful and as wonderful as that is, but rather celebrating the great plan of God which spans all of human existence, a plan of salvation, a plan of redemption, and a plan of God's relationship with us. The first weekend of this month, I was invited to attend a wonderful concert of Christmas music at a church in the west part of our city. A church, it's a fine, fine church. They are known for an outstanding mu music ministry. They have a wonderful choir, terrific orchestra. I was specifically invited to attend this concert because they were performing several Christmas hymns and carols, which I had arranged and orchestrated about six years ago. I had not heard, heard them since in the last six years. It was delightful to go hear them. Now, they performed a few what we call presentational tunes, which the audience was to sit and listen and enjoy, and they were delightful. However, most of the evening was filled with well-known Christmas hymns and carols. And I, honestly, as you can imagine, the musician in me was, was just enraptured. It was wonderful to simply sit and enjoy and take it all in and, and not have to be responsible for one note the whole night. It was great. Really enjoyed the performance, and they did it well. I had gone alone. Becky was working and not available. I had gone alone, and it was a great time for me to just ask the Lord to speak to me through the concert. You know, you should do that when you come to church. Lord, speak to me through the music, through the preached word. Speak to me. What would, what would you like to say to me? Let me open my heart to you. Don't let me just sit here. Let me open my heart to you. That's what I did that night. What would you speak to me? And he did. Song after song, they came. And honestly, tears filled my eyes as I thought, back through the decades that I've sung these incredible melodies and these lyrics that have passed through my lips over the years. And while sitting there in the midst of this concert in 2020 and the uniqueness of this year, something dawned on me as I was kind of putting it all together. Now, understand, I went to the concert having taken this experience of the lady in our home and discussing the plan of God moving into the Advent season. Put that all together. What I was sitting here, what dawned on me was this. You know, this pandemic has robbed us of so much. Many have lost loved ones. Many have lost jobs. We've been robbed of our lifestyles and many of the freedoms that we've known and been robbed of the social interaction that we've always enjoyed and even crave. But as I sat there and listened to song after song, after song, these glorious Christmas carols, beautifully arranged. 
I thought to myself, you know what? I had to throw that in. I hadn't heard him in six years. It was wonderful. I'm sitting there thinking all these songs that I know so well. I thought, you know what? This pandemic can take a lot from us, and that's true. But you know what that pan- this pandemic cannot take from me? It cannot rob me of the song that is within my heart. <laughs> Nothing can take that away. I have to tell you, this age particularly, those songs are precious to me. So precious to me. For some reason, in the last few weeks, I've awakened every morning with a melody in my head. Some of them I know, some of them are familiar, some of them are old, some of them are brand new melodies that the Lord has just been dropping in my head. And I began to sit there and tears rolled down my cheek as I heard song after song and I knew them so well. And I thought, nothing can take that away because here's what's true. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low, fear not, I am with you, peace be still. In all of life's ebb and flow. Anybody remember that song? And his name shall be called Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, sweetest name I know. He fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. You want to know the plan of God? You'll find it in the fourth fourth verse of the song I just quoted. It says this. Feasting on the riches of his grace. Resting neath his sheltering wing. Always looking on his smiling face. That is why I shout and sing. It's still the name that's above every other name, church. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know. It fills my every longing and it keeps me singing as I go. That's the plan of God for you and for me. But on that night of the concert, it was the lyrics of well-known Christmas carols that spoke to my heart. I know those lyrics so well, just like you. I've sung them hundreds of times, just like you. On that night, as I had walked into the sanctuary, contemplating the great and marvelous plan of God and what all He had done, and that way back in Genesis, we know that, that, that He had crushed the head of the serpent. Well, let me tell you, it's a song we sang tonight was sung that night, and these lyrics resounded in my heart. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. This wasn't just songs going through my head by rote. They were alive and vibrant to me. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. And you know the rest of it, but here's the one that got me. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. He is Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. The plan of God, that's what the plan of God is and was. And this is the one that brings out the Pentecostal in me. i got to warn you. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life. That's the plan of God. 
That's why he has come. That's why he left the splendor of heaven. That's why you are here tonight or with worshiping with us at home, celebrating on this night for light and life to all he brings. He is risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory, glory, glory to the newborn king. There's one more. I'm watching the clock. I'm just watching it. doesn't mean I'm paying attention to it. <laughs> Sitting at that concert, this is the one that I thought, oh my, I've sung that thousands of times. And I just spit it out. But with all this rolling in my head, it's an exuberant carol that we sing joyfully, sometimes maybe even a little bit glib. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. I sat there with all this going through my head, meditating on this, asking the Lord to speak to me that night in that beautiful church. That's what I've been meditating on in Genesis 3.15. And that had kind of laid tracks in my head that from the very beginning of time for God's plan of salvation, his plan of redemption, was sent and entered the world. God was and is determined, determined to reach and reach and reach and reach to fallen man, to you and me, to be in right relationship with him. He's relentless in his reach to us. And the third verse of joy to the world, they put the words up on the screen that night. And I lifted my voice to sing and I came to a part I had to go, whoa. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. As far as the curse. I thought, that's really it. It goes all the way back to Genesis at the curse of sin. But what Jesus has done and what he has accomplished by leaving heaven and coming to us, he's come to make his blessings flow. Church tonight, he wants his favor and blessing to flow and flow and flow over you and your family. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He has come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. The birth of Christ and God sending his son to earth, he was reaching to us, reaching to us. Even Paul makes it clear how far this reach is. He says, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. What's God's plan? Is that God's plan? God's plan is his blessing for your life. God's plan is to shed his love abroad in your hearts. Paul says, for I am absolutely persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present or things to come. Doesn't matter what 2021 brings us, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody say hallelujah. Come on, raise a hallelujah. Raise a hallelujah. Let's stand together.